0: Well, I want you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word, the unshakable Word of the Lord, from Genesis and chapter 45, verses 25, through Genesis 46 and verse 4. We continue to see that God has given us a great record in Joseph's life that points us forward to the true Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. So those who have been reconciled, who have become ministers of reconciliation, Joseph's brothers. In verse 25, they went out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. And they told him, Joseph is still alive, and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart became numb, for he did not believe them. You know, they have told him for 20 plus years that Joseph is dead, so we can understand. But... When they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba. And offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Let's pray together. Father, thank you, and I pray that it is known by every single person in this room that you are God, you are faithful, you keep your promises, you will bring us home. So Father, we pray in Jesus' name that what the Holy Spirit intended when these words were recorded for all eternity will be what we see in the Scripture today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please be seated and you can keep uh, Genesis 45 and 46 there in uh, front of you. When I was uh, around uh, 17 or 18 years old, uh, the church that I was a part of was going to take a trip. And as soon as I heard what they were doing, I discounted my participation because I know myself pretty well. I've never been good at anything that requires balance in any shape or form. So the church had announced that the group was going to go uh, snow skiing, and I said, blessings upon you, you all have fun. I'm not going to participate. However, they were uh, the sign-up sheet was coming along, and it came to me, and I saw uh, Julie Easton's name on the sheet, and I began to rethink uh, my participation. So I signed up to go. I'm going to go on the ski trip, and I began to talk myself into it while I'm not that great at balance. In my pride, I consider myself fairly athletic, and so, uh, so we're going, and we're on the bus, and we're headed there, and, and uh, here are the slopes, and we get our equipment and get the skis, and, and I noticed there's a little sign that says, Beginner's Class, and uh, I started to head to it, and I noticed I'm the only one in the group that's said to it, you know what peer pressure's like, right? And so I look back, nobody else is going to the little bunny slope, and I said, okay, well, I'll uh, skip that part too, Uh, I thought it probably would have been a good idea, but uh, I just began to tag along and get on the lift. And the lift is called a lift because they lift you up, and you just keep lifting. I mean, you just keep going, and uh, we kept going and going and going. And uh, I started to uh, get a little bit nervous. I didn't have a Fitbit at the time, but if I had checked my heart rate, it would have been in the high 180s. And uh, the group gets down, and everybody's having a great time. I mean, most people have brought their own gear. I mean, they've been here and done that. And I look down the slope, and I wonder, is there another way? Is there an elevator or something? We just get, get off of this mountain. And all of a sudden, my feet begin to feel so uncoordinated. And, uh, and there's Julie, and Julie goes. And I said, well, there goes Julie. I'm going to go, too. So I started out, and very quickly... Lost control and uh, everything felt out of control. Everything felt unstable. Fall down. Try to pick myself up again. And long story short, I just sort of rolled down, rolled down all the way down the mountain. Right. Sometimes life feels that way. Things are moving too fast. Unstable. Don't really know where you're going. Don't really know how to get get out of the situation. Right. And we're going to see that here in Jacob's life. He comes to a point in his life when everything's changing. We're calling this a message the stability of God in seasons of change. So we're going to look at one person in particular. His name's Jacob, also known as Israel. So let's not let that confuse us on the front end. Sometimes he'll be referred to as Jacob, and sometimes he'll be referred to as Israel. Sort of like sometimes in the New Testament, he's Peter. Sometimes he's Simon. Sometimes he's Simon Peter. But we're talking about the same person. And we're continuing through the study of Joseph, but Jacob will really take front and center this morning. This morning, we'll look at Jacob's journey to be reunited with his dearly loved son, Joseph. So remember again that for 20 plus years, Jacob has operated under the belief that Joseph is dead. Now he's heard Joseph's not dead, and after a long time, his life has been completely wrapped up in grief and, worry and in fear. Now, we're in Genesis 46, but let's just uh, go back in time a little bit to a couple of passages. So I want, what I want you to see here on the front end is that there are certain things that have been defining Jacob's life. And I want you to see them because I don't think it's too great a leap, too great of an assumption, that there are many people in the room this morning who your life is sort of wrapped up in the same things that were defining Jacob's life. So let's go back here to Genesis Chapter uh, 35, Genesis chapter 35 and verse 9. Genesis 35 and verse 9, God appeared to Jacob again. Think, nothing could be greater than that, right? So we're talking about a man who's had personal interactions with the living God. He came from Paddan Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob. The name literally means deceiver. No longer shall your name be deceiver, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you and kings shall come from your own body. Now, this is what we might call a high point in Jacob's life, right? But I want you to see from about this point on, there's nothing but heartache and devastation in Jacob's life, beginning just a few verses later in verse 16. They journeyed from Bethel when they were some distance from Ephrath. Rachel went into labor, and she had hard labor. Now, Rachel is the woman that Jacob loves with all of his heart. When her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, Do not fear, for you have another son. As her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called his name Ben-Oni, but his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died, and she was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethel. And Jacob set up a pillar over his, her tomb. Rather, It is the pillar of Rachel's tomb, which is there to this day. Israel journeyed on and pitched his tent. Now, his journey's going to continue, but I want you to see from about this point on, everything that's precious in his life is sort of taken away from him. I want you to know when we get to Genesis 46, this is a man we're talking about who has been through the ringer. And some of you in the room know what I'm talking about, right? That it seems everything that's possible to face that's hard in life, you've faced it. Now Genesis forty-three. Genesis, I'm sorry, verse uh, chapter thirty-six. Getting a little bit ahead of myself. And verse thirty-one. And when I said thirty-six, I meant thirty-seven. Now be patient with me this morning. Genesis thirty-seven. Verse 29, when Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes, returned to his brothers, and said, The boy is gone, and I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood, and they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father, that's Jacob, and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it's your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is, without doubt, torn to pieces. Jacob tore his garments, put sackcloth on his loins, and mourned his son for many days. I mean, he's just barely put his life together, back, back together after Rachel's death. And his sons, these lying, conniving, deceiving sons, and his daughters rose up to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. That's what his life is wrapped up in. I mean, you just track along with Jacob. About the moment God said, from you will come a mighty nation, everything in his life has fallen apart, right? Then Genesis chapter 45. This is after we've skipped over this, but you remember that Jacob would not allow Benjamin to return to Egypt with his brothers. Right, He's been in the midst of famine. Can we just add that to the list? He's been living for months on end, wondering if he was going to die and if his descendants were going to be wiped out. Some promise, God, right? He said, a mighty nation is going to come for me, and we're about to starve to death. And then even, listen, even when he receives good news, I want you to notice where his thoughts are. Verse 28, Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die for 20 plus years his life has been I will go down to Sheol morning and even when he gets the good news I'll just go see him before I die so this is a season of change Joseph I'm sorry Jacob now is about to leave everything behind it's so what do we see in verse 1 Israel took his journey with all that he had everything in his life has changed have you ever been there? Everything's kind of turned upside down. Now, it's good news that he's received, but now he and his whole family, they say the number one cause of stress is a, is a move, right? I mean, when, it, when everything has changed, now uh, we want to talk to you this morning, and I want to talk to you about the stability of God in seasons of change. And I want to begin number one, your outline, if you follow along, let's talk about the unshakable foundation. I just want you to go on and know, Everything in your life that can get shook. I don't even know if that's uh, correct English. I think you'll know what I mean. Everything in your life that can get shook will get shook or shaken. You know what I mean. Some, one of you, somebody's going to come and tell me the right way of saying it. and We'll, 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 we'll uh, amend it next week. But, you, but well, let's not miss the point. Everything in your life that can get tested or taken, will get tested or taken. But I do want you to know something. There are some things in your life that will not shake if you're on the unshakable foundation. So from what God says to Jacob, and by the way, we know that Jacob is full of fear in this season of his life. Why do we know Jacob's full of fear? Because God has to say, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, right? Now, why would God say, Jacob, don't be afraid unless Jacob was afraid? So let's just maybe for a moment, just allow the Holy Spirit to nudge you. Are you living in fear today? And if so, what are you afraid of? Now, I simply want to point out from what God says to Jacob, there's going to be four things. And we'll just think about that in your mind, like that in your mind. Four sides of a foundation that you can build your life on, right? That no matter what happens. No matter what circumstances, your foundation is unshakable. We know this is important to the Lord because this is the way that Jesus wraps up the whole Sermon on the Mount, right? When he preaches that glorious sermon in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, he says, the winds will come, the rains will come, but the house that's built on the rock will stand. And this is just an Old Testament version of that. Change can be scary, can't it? Now, Jacob knows Joseph is in Egypt, but that's about all that he knows, a new place, new circumstances, new phase of life. When the seasons of life change, and they do change, some people just get wrapped up wishing for a former season or hoping for a new season and squander the time that they're at in this season. And God has a purpose for every season of your life. So don't get nostalgic for a season gone by to the point that you're not really living life now and don't look for some season that is to come. God wants to uh, be faithful to you and use you mightily right now. So here's, uh, perhaps you are in a new season of life. The children have left home or the children have arrived at home or you've entered a new job or you've, or you've lost a loved one, right? It's changes, Now, Jacob is thrilled that his son is alive, but the journey to get to him is going to be a difficult one. So, from the moment, really, that Rachel died, and that he receives the coat of many colors smeared by blood, till they say we got to take Benjamin with us down to Egypt, his life has been paralyzed by fear. Fear's been one of the great challenges of his whole life. He was fearful of his brother Esau. If we go back, right? Fearful of sending Benjamin. Fearful of the the famines going to bring calamity. And fearful. Here's the headline: fearful that the promises of God can't actually be trusted. So we're going to track along with him on his journey and uh, see again the stability of God in seasons of change. One thing you can count on in your life: there will be some change. So let's get our foundation. Right. Listen to what God says to, to Jacob. So there are four clear principles here. No matter if Rachel dies, no matter if your sons are rebellious, no matter if the famine comes, no matter if you leave everything you've known, your foundation is secure. So read it with me again. Verse 2, God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, to, said Jacob, Jacob, and he said, Here I am. Now I want you to know that the last time that God spoke to Jacob like this was in the verses we read just before Rachel died, right? So he's gone through a long season where it feels like, emphasizing the word feel, feels like God has been silent. Question, is the last thing that God said to Jacob still true? Yes. What was the last thing God had said to Jacob? I will make from you a mighty nation, right? Still true, but you can understand the life that Jacob has lived would make him wonder if that's true so here's what God says I am God the God of your father do not be afraid to go down to Egypt for there I will make you into a great nation I myself will go down with you to Egypt and I will also bring you up again and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes Jacob at this point is uh 113 years old so, Miss Daphine, just getting started, right? I mean, he's going he's to go for a little while longer. So, first, unshakable foundation is this. Pretty straightforward, but I want you to think about it. God is God. This is number one, right? Here's the number one reason. Here's the number one reason people have unstable lives. They will not recognize that what's on the screen is true. God is God. That implies what? We are not. We are not in charge, we are not in control, we are not all-knowing, we are not uh, all-powerful. We are not the same yesterday, today, and forever, but God is. Look at the first words out of his mouth. I am God. Praise God Almighty, he doesn't say, I was God, I will be God. I am God. You want an unshakable uh, foundation for your life? Recognize that he's God and you are not. Now it says here in verse 1 that Jacob has come to Beersheba. That's an important place in uh, his family's history. Uh, Hold your spot there and turn back with me to Genesis chapter 21 because I think the location is important. In Genesis chapter 21 verse 33. Genesis chapter 21 verse 33. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree where in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord the everlasting God where are we at we're in Beersheba what did Abraham learn in Beersheba he's the everlasting God what does God say when Jacob gets to Beersheba on his journey to Egypt I am God I think I got a picture I want you to see up on the on on the screen here Um, there we go now, I'm not saying that's the tree that Abraham planted, right? I'm not saying that, but that's the kind of tree. That's a great-looking tree, isn't it? Now, I think, that, I think there's a wonderful picture for us here. The tree didn't look full-grown the day that Abraham planted it, right? But Abraham planted this tree, and the roots go down deep, and the limbs begin to grow, right? So that by the time Jacob does get to Beersheba, the tree has grown, right? And here is Jacob, and here's another thing that I think is going on in his life. Here's his fear. I'm not going to measure up to my granddad or my dad, right? It's a fear that he's got. I mean, these were faithful men and Abraham and Isaac. And now I think that because God has to say to him, I am God, the God of your father. That's a simple application, but I want to give it to you. Hey, you need to be planting some trees in your life for the next generation, right? You got to. You've got to leave some things that the next generation will come to. Because, uh, in, in fact, when we're in Genesis 21, Isaac's just been born, right? Isaac's just been born. And so it's a season of Abraham's life celebrating that, uh, just as the choir saying, through the darkness, you will really lead us. And can't you just see almost Jacob sitting under that tree and him hearing from the Lord? Not that tree, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> the tree that his granddad had planted. Now, I'm speaking figuratively, but do you have some trees in your life that granddad planted? Do you have some fruit bearing in your life because of what your grandmom did? Your great-grandmom, right? Your parents who prayed. Your dad who was faithful. So an encouragement that I give you, leave something for your children and your children's children, your grandchildren to know that your testimony is, yes, it has been hard, but yes, God has been faithful. Jacob can sit there and say, this is, this is where my dad was. This is where my granddad was. Beersheba, chapter uh, 26, Genesis 26, verses 23 to 25. Look at that with me. Genesis 26, verse 23. From there, he, the he this time is Isaac, Jacob's dad, he went up to Beersheba and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not. For I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. Now, real quick, I want you to know, you ain't got to go to Beersheba, but God himself has planted a tree for you. Do you know what I'm saying? If you want God to speak to you, it's not in Beersheba, it's actually at Calvary. And God Almighty has on the tree of Calvary proclaimed to you that he is faithful. He loves you. He redeems you. He forgives you. And you best leave everything behind as that's what's required to bow your knee at the Lord Jesus Christ crucified for your sins crucified at the tree of Calvary and leave that testimony for the next generation I am the God of your father. Jacob, everything in your life is changing, but I am not changing. I've kept and guarded Abraham. I've kept and guarded Isaac. I will guard and keep you. Isaiah 33, the Lord is exalted for he dwells on high. He will fill Zion with justice and righteousness and he will be the stability of your times. Abundance of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. Malachi chapter three, verse six, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, I love this, O children of Jacob, you are not consumed. Psalm 33, verse 11. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. In Hebrews thirteen, eight, Jesus Christ is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. God is God. Second part of this foundation is God always keeps his promises. I, verse 3, will make you into a great nation. God repeats the promise he gave to Jacob before. And all the time since God first gave the promise to Abraham, there's not been a lot of progress, has there? I mean, just think about it. Jacob sitting under the tree. Abraham had a son, Isaac. Isaac had a son, Jacob. We're not making a lot of progress. Where's the mighty nation, right? In a lot of time, just a handful of us. In fact, uh, look over here in Genesis 46, the end of verse 27. All the persons of the house of Jacob who came into Egypt were 70. Well, that's a pretty good number. Not quite a mighty nation. Turn with me to Numbers, the book of Numbers in chapter 1. Numbers in chapter 1, verse 45. So, all those listed of the people of Israel by their fathers' houses, From 20 years old and upward, every man able to go to war in Israel, all those listed were 603,550. And you add up those who were younger than 20, and the ladies, you got over 2 million. Now listen to me. It's a picture of what God's going to do, because you remember what he says when we get a glimpse into heaven? Myriads and myriads, 10,000s and 10,000s, a multitude that cannot be counted. But listen, this is important. God may not have kept his promise to Jacob where Jacob thought, when Jacob thought, or how Jacob thought. But he does keep his promise. Amen? God always keeps his promises. It probably no one else in your life will always keep all their promises, but you can trust that God will third part of an unshakable foundation God is always with you God's always with you I will go down with you to Egypt and I will also bring you up again and Joseph's hands will close your eyes now Jacob dies in Egypt we're going to see that and Joseph will close his eyes all that's going to be right here in the record but the interesting phrase for us is what does this mean when God says I will also bring you up again Now, if you've studied Genesis, you you know that Jacob's uh, rather advanced in years. And Jacob's body will be brought back and buried with his fathers, Abraham and Isaac. But if what's being referred to here is uh, you're going to go down to Egypt and you're going to die. And then Joseph will close your eyes and then your body will be brought back to Egypt. The order doesn't make any sense, does it? Right? If that were what God's talking about, wouldn't it be, I'll be with you, go down to Egypt, Joseph will close your eyes and then I will bring you up again. So what is going on here? Now, this is important for us, friends, because one of the things we most fear is death itself, and that's what is being talked about right here. If you're a believer in Jesus, i got a word of great comfort for you. You ready for it? When they close your eyes here, you're already with him there. That's what God's saying here. That's what he says. He says to, to Jacob, you're going to go down, I'm going to go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. Now, in the references in the scripture, the, the rescuing at death is always a personal work of the Lord. Now, you might, you might think and hope that an angel is going to come get you. I, I'm, my hope's higher than that. I think God himself comes. That's what he's saying. I will bring you. To be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. May this comfort you if you've ever been through that season. If you've got a loved one as a believer of Jesus, when you close their eyes, they are with the Lord. It's a marvelous insight into the death of believers. Even in death, God is with us. Amen? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, here's the implication. I will, help me church, fear no evil. Death is not to be feared. Why? Because you are, do you know the psalm? You're with me. So don't fear the moment of death. And you also don't have to fixate on the moment of death. You know what I mean? You don't have to fear it. You don't have to fixate on it. And here's another thing we see in Joseph. I'm sorry, Jacob's life, is he got it in his mind that he was about to die long before he was about to die. And that can happen in some of our lives. We're we'll going to talk about it more in just, uh, just a minute. Jacob took the life out of his years before the years of his life were over. He assumed, I'm just going to go down to Egypt and die. Do you know how long Jacob lived in Egypt before he died once he got there? 17 years. That brings us to second, the unexpected blessing. The unexpected blessing. Now, there's a great picture of Christ here in uh, Genesis 46, verse 28. We'll see the reunion, and then I'll just see a couple more things quickly this morning. This wonderful picture, you know, Jacob's thought long that Joseph is dead. Now he knows that he's alive. And look in uh, Genesis 46, verse 28. He had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph. That is a great picture of how Christ goes before us to show the way before him in Goshen. You want to get to where you need to be? The Lord Jesus will go before you. And they came into the land of Goshen. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father in Goshen. He presented himself to him and he fell on his neck and wept. What a reunion, right on his neck a good little while. And Israel said to Joseph, now let me... Here we go again. Now let me die. Since I've seen your face and know that you are still alive. And Joseph doesn't really respond to that. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and will say to him, my brothers and my father's household who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. So uh, we talk about the unexpected blessing. Is The first point number under this is God had more good plan for Jacob than he thought possible. God had more good plan for Jacob than Jacob thought possible possible. Remember everything we've read so far. I'm going to go down to Egypt. I'm going to see him and then I'm going to die. But did you know this last season of Jacob's life is actually his most fruitful season? Now, through so many difficult circumstances, I think Jacob, this can happen to people. He's been through so many hard things that it's left him almost believing that good things are no longer even possible. Let me tell you this. If you're a follower of the Lord the best days are always still to come. If you're a follower of the Lord, the best days are always still to come. So if you look at your life right now, and I mean in a spirit-led way, in a holy, righteous, biblically informed, spirit-led way, and you say it's not good right now, that only means that God's not done yet. But Jacob had concluded, here's the finish line. But friends, you better let God outline the finish line rather than you. Another example of this is in the book of Ruth when Naomi, who's also been through so much heartache, says, don't even call me Naomi anymore. Uh, that name means beautiful. She said, my name's now Mara, which means bitter. And she assumed on her way back to Bethlehem, her good days were over. But right by, by her side is Ruth. And Ruth's going to meet a man and they're going to have a baby in Bethlehem. And you know, just all these wonderful pictures to say that no believer in God should, should conclude that there are no good days left for me we have in uh, the record two testimonies that joseph gives one he gives at the very beginning of his time in egypt and the second he gives at the end of his life 17 years later and just briefly i want us to compare the two the first one is going to be in genesis 47 verses 7 and 9 So here is a wonderful opportunity Joseph has, I'm sorry, Jacob, I keep getting their names confused. But it was a wonderful opportunity Jacob has to stand before Pharaoh himself and give a testimony. So check out this testimony. Genesis 47, verse 7. Then Joseph brought in Jacob his father and stood him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. I think I said 113 earlier, just got a little confused. 130 years. Now here's the summary of his life. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. And they have not attained to the days of the years of my fathers and the days of their sojourning. Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. That's some testimony, isn't it? My life's been short, my life's been hard, and I haven't measured up to my father or my grandfather. Have a good day. And he walks out or limps out. Turn the page. Genesis 48 and verse 15. 17 years later. Second testimony given 17 years later. Jacob blessed Joseph and said, The God, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked. The God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. The angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. Isn't that a wonderful phrase? And in them, let my name be carried on and the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac. And let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. It's a little bit different, isn't it? This is totally different. First, the emphasis was really on himself and his own hardship. Seventeen years later, the emphasis is on God and his redemption. We see that, right? So that brings us to the third and final point, is the unrivaled privilege of knowing Jesus. The unrivaled privilege of knowing Jesus. So we're going to carry our, um, our principle that we've been all along through the life of Joseph is Joseph represents who? Joseph represents Jesus. So for 17 years of his life, Jacob has been around Joseph. For 17 years of his life, Jacob has watched the example of Joseph. For 17 years of his life, Jacob now has listened to the words of Joseph. And over the course of 17 years of his life, everything about Joseph's perspective, Jacob's perspective has changed. So real quick, real quick, you want to know whether or not you know the real Jesus? Has he changed your perspective about everything? Now if you look over the last, we don't even have to do 17 years, the last season of your life, what ways has Jesus corrected you, helped you, Altered your perspective. You looked at it this way, but now you see it that way. You looked at it as full of trouble. Where did he learn that from? I bet he learned it from Joseph, don't you? What, God, what, what they meant for evil, God has used for good. So, just real quick, we're wrapping up. Let's consider this from Joseph, uh, uh, Jacob's perspective. And once again, we'll see that Joseph is a glorious picture of Jesus. Right? Let's think about it from Jacob's perspective. Here's Jacob assumed his life was nothing but trouble. From the moment Rachel died on, heartache, disappointment, frustration, and despair. He's got some promise of God, but that seems so long ago that, uh, and it seemed over the course of his life, to not be one bit closer to fulfillment. And then, these ministers of reconciliation show up one day, right? And they've got words about a savior in Egypt, a redeemer's in Egypt, and they don't just have words. What else have they brought? They brought the wagons, right? So this man who on his best day can barely limp across the room, all of a sudden he's told, here's a wagon that can carry me all the way to this savior that they're talking about. And the savior wants you to come near to him. And not only does he want you to come near to him, he wants you to come quickly and not to tarry. Leave behind, Jacob, a land of famine and regret and come to a place where you are loved and provided for. And when Jacob first hears the message, his heart's numb, right? For year after year after year, all he has heard is bad news. And he doesn't even know if he really believes the Redeemer is alive. But then, as the Scripture says, he hears all the words... Of the Redeemer in Egypt. And sees the provisions the Redeemer has sent. And he's carried to the Savior. And when he gets there. The Savior himself. The Redeemer himself. Welcomes him. And provides for him. Now listen to me. When Jacob first comes. To the Redeemer. He is full of regrets. Of wasted days. And feels like he can never get those days back. But. But living close to the Savior, being provided for by the Savior, over time, he begins to see his life in a different light. He sees the Savior as the one who redeems him from all evil. And when he comes, listen to me, to the end of his life, the Savior gives a solemn promise. He himself will close your eyes and he will carry you home. That's the gospel according to Genesis chapters 45, 46, 47, and 48. On that day, Jesus came to two witnesses, or two two, uh, two on the road to Emmaus, the day of his resurrection, and they looked downcast and sad. And Jesus, as he walks along with them, opens their minds, right, to understand the scripture. And beginning with Moses, I believe that's a reference to the books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He opened their minds to understand the scripture and the things concerning himself. What does that mean? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and all the way through the Old Testament. It's about Jesus. And I don't know how long they got on that road to Emmaus before Jesus got to Joseph. And he opened up their minds to see the true Redeemer. He has left a tree of remembrance for us. He himself welcomes us. He is the God who will be my shepherd all my life long. The one who's redeemed me from all evil. Let his name be carried. What a Savior. Do you know him? Have you left everything behind to get to him? It's a message, friends. Jesus says, leave a land of famine. Come to where I will provide for you. But you do have to leave it all behind, right? And part of what we need to leave behind is all those regrets, all those disappointments. You see that God has actually used some of, this is a hard lesson, but I want you to hear it. God has used the hardest days in your life in order to shepherd you to the place where you see where hope really can be found. We're going to stand together and we're going to pray together. I believe that those who trust and believe in Christ will always get to where Jacob gets in his perspective we're going to pray together along two fronts. with your heads bowed, first of all, have you ever been redeemed by Jesus Christ? Have you ever come out of the land of famine to the place where salvation is truly provided for you, where life is truly provided for you? Maybe somebody in your family somewhere along the way has left some, uh, memories behind to point you in the right direction. You got a tree in Beersheba, right? You got somebody in your life that their testimony, their life, what God did in their life, it points you. But you still have to go, friend. Beersheba's helpful, but it's not all the way to Egypt. You've got to go all the way to where the Redeemer is. Praise God and thank God for those who've gone before us that point the way. But but Jacob's hope ultimately wasn't in Abraham and it wasn't in Isaac. It was in God himself. If you ever come to the Redeemer? I want you to hear just as assuredly as Jacob heard it. He wants you to come near to him. He's provided everything necessary for you to get there. He will carry you all the way. But you have to repent. Leave a land, land of famine and go to him. Go to Christ. Go to Jesus. Secondly, you are a believer. But you would say, Pastor Brandon... I don't know if I'm in Genesis 48, but I can tell you I'm in 36 or 38 or 41, somewhere in there. I am in a land of hardship and difficulty right now. And there are days it seems God is so silent. Would you use this time of invitation to exert some faith, some faith that God is God? His promises can be trusted. He will always be with you. And there will be a day You might not see it now. And I pray this doesn't just sound like preacher talk to you. There will be a day where you will be able to look back and say, you used it all for good. Used it all for good. Father, shepherd our invitation time. I pray you'd remove so petty, silly, shallow barriers. If we need to get on our knees and pray, God, give us grace to get on our knees and pray. If we need to respond to a gospel invitation, Say, I need need the Redeemer. I need to be saved. God, would you just remove silly, shallow, petty pride and may there be freedom to respond to an invitation. We just look to you. So Father, give us grace to respond to an invitation in accordance with how good the news is that's been proclaimed. There is no greater gospel than the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that you'd give us an eagerness to, to respond. Knowing you, Jesus, there is no greater thing. And we acknowledge that sometimes we have to go to the hardest things to be able to sing that with sincerity. So fill this room with the praise of your people. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.